Hi there, this is Michael Lowry, pastor of East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire. And this is the Love to Tell the Story podcast. At the beginning of his public ministry, while walking along the beach of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus called out to Simon and Andrew, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. And thus immediately they left everything to become the first of Jesus' disciples. It's a great story. And the most amazing thing about that story is that it's still the same call that Jesus extends to you and me today. Based on the story that comes from Matthew chapter 4 verses 12 through 23, this is the message entitled, Disciples Catching Disciples. You know, one of the most striking things that Jesus does at the beginning of his public ministry is to ask for help, which actually kind of seems rather odd, knowing what we know about Jesus. After all, if anyone should have been able to go it alone, you would have thought it to be Jesus, who, as you'll remember, at the moment of his baptism was affirmed by God as his son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. On the strength of that credential alone, one would have thought that Jesus could have gone about his ministry unfettered and unaccompanied. But in this morning's gospel reading, the one that Chris just shared with us, we quickly discover that Jesus does not work alone to accomplish his mission, but instead, right from the start, seeks the help of others. As biblical scholar Tom Wright has put it, Jesus not only announced the advent of God's promised kingdom, he also invited people to come forward and to be a part of it to be a part of that kingdom's coming, to empower them to do that which Jesus himself was doing, which was to announce the coming of the kingdom and to invite others still to be a part of it. Or, if we can put it more simply and biblically, as Jesus called out to Simon and Andrew, then to James and John in our text today, follow me and I will make you fishers of people. Now, when you think about it, friends, this is actually a big part of what sets our Christian faith apart from the world's many philosophies. You see, the challenge of of a great many philosophical treatises comes down really at the end of the day to a single question. The question is, do you agree? It's intellectual exercise. Not that that's a bad thing, but that's all it really is. You you agree with the idea or you don't agree with the idea. Either way, agree or disagree, life kind of goes on as it did before. But here's the thing about Christianity. When Jesus asked, do you believe, that question is inextricably bound to another question. Will you follow me? Will you join in? Will you help me in this? Our answer to that question, whatever it happens to be, will end up determining our future pathway. 
For that matter, friends, isn't this ultimately the way we become a community, a, a family of faith in the church? Think about this with me for a moment. So many of us, in fact, I would venture a guess most of us in one fashion or another, came to our Christian faith and became part of the church because first, first of all, somebody somewhere invited us to come and see, to know more, to, to be a part of what they'd experienced and what they knew to be true. It might be your family, your parents, your grandparents. It might have been uh, Sunday school teachers. It, it, it might have been a pastor. It might have been a friend or a neighbor or someone who was pretty influential to you. But they were the ones who first inspired you to come to this place to know more and to follow your heart of faith. To put a finer point on this, that somebody who led you here was a disciple a follower of Jesus Christ who had answered Jesus' call in his or her own life to become a fisher of people. And by some kind of compassionate word or deed, they threw their spiritual net out there, and what do you know? They end up caught catching us. And through their efforts and by their faith, they help Jesus catch us as part of his loving embrace of, of the whole world. What we have here is an ongoing cycle of, of proclamation and invitation. It's disciples who are catching disciples all for the sake of Christ and his kingdom. And it is a calling, a calling that extends from person to person to person, from family to family, from generation to generation. And ultimately, whatever else one can say about us here, it's this calling, this calling, first and foremost, that makes us the church of Jesus Christ. In fact, I would venture to say to you this morning that you and me, all of us gathered in this place today, literally represent the latest gathering of disciples, the latest gathering of disciples who were called by Jesus himself to be fishers of people. And that's quite a distinction, don't you know? It's a distinction. It's who we are. But it's a distinction that begs an important, if kind of obvious, question. And the question is this. So how's the fishing been lately, folks? How's the fishing? It's not as flip a question as I make it sound, either. After all, there are time, these are times we live in that don't exactly provide optimal conditions for casting our spiritual nets upon the water. For one thing, and we've talked a lot about this as of late, we are living amidst a, this cultural and, dare I say, political landscape that increasingly marginalizes people of faith. They make the claim that we're either being inconsequential on the one hand or kind of the extremist threat on the other. Moreover, there's a growing sense of pluralism in this world that seems to suggest that we shouldn't ever, ever impose our beliefs on anyone else. And worst of all, there's a real tendency, even within the church, for us to start believing 
that our Christian faith is not good news to be proclaimed or shared, but something that ought to be wholly kept to ourselves. And none of that makes for much success as we hear Jesus' call to fish for people. You know, so often as I go through the hymnal each week looking for songs for Sunday worship, I'm struck by just how many of the old traditional hymns have to do specifically with spreading the word, making disciples. You know, they have words like, we have heard a joyful sound. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Another one is, renew your church, our ministries restore, both to serve and adore. And of course, there's that wonderful one. We've a story to tell to the nations that shall turn their hearts to the right. That's what we should have sung first off this morning. They're great hymns. They're bold and true. And they're full of joyous proclamation. They are a rallying cry for the church's great commission. But it occurs to me that as powerful as these songs are, they you know, sadly, don't really connect to our postmodern view of evangelism, nor does it really speak to what you and I are comfortable doing as regards our faith. Mostly, you know, if, if we're to be honest with ourselves about it, our tendency is not to sing or shout our faith, but we like to keep it quiet and personal. And to never be pushy or overbearing about it because nobody likes a religious fanatic. I always remember a guy I knew in college who, once he learned that after college I was not going to become a journalist, but I was going to go on to seminary and become a pastor, and he thought about it a little bit, and he looked at me, and he finally said, you know what I like about you? And, you know, I'm almost afraid to ask, answer that question. Uh, uh, no, What? And, and he said, I like you because you're not a zealot. Okay. And, and I get it. Nobody likes a zealot. Nobody wants to be in the presence of a religious fanatic, whatever that means. And besides, we wonder, is there ever really a good and fitting time or place to tell our story about God or Jesus or our faith other than, well, here? where it's relatively easy and comfortable and we're amongst the, quote, trained professionals, unquote, of the church. See, my point here is that more and more these days we tend to compartmentalize our Christian faith as one of many concerns in, of our lives. And I get that, but that was decidedly not what Jesus was about, nor was that to be the nature of our call to discipleship. That's one reason that Matthew is very clear in pointing out that those disciples immediately left their nets. They left their homes and their families, their livelihoods. They left everything, and they followed him. Because discipleship is not meant to be something compartmentalized. It is to be life-changing and all-encompassing, and likewise, to be fishers of people in our lives. To be fishers of people requires that we move well beyond the safest and most secure spots for the fishing. Jesus' invitation 
His mission was one of proclamation and invitation. And he took that mission to the very places where the people were. And meeting them there, he called out to them with a voice in a manner that they could understand. That's, that's why in the Gospels, we're always meeting Jesus in the marketplace. He's out amidst the fishing boats and he's walking through the villages. He's sharing meals with what the rest of the world would dismiss as the lost and the forgotten. It was all to tell them in clear and unalloyed terms that the kingdom of God was at hand and that each one of them could be part of that glory. And with every word Jesus spoke, with every teaching, every parable shared, in every healing act, Jesus was casting that net of God's redeeming, saving love. And as Jesus' disciples in these challenging years of the 21st century, that remains our task as well. You know, after all that, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about our merely being loud about our Christian faith. Nor am I suggesting in any way, shape, or form we ought to be obnoxious or judgmental or spiritually pretentious because, trust me here, there are more than enough zealots in the Christian church. Nor am I standing here to demand a greater measure of success in evangelism. You know, not too long ago, I heard a prominent Methodist preacher suggest words to the effect that if a congregation is not growing in numbers, then it is failing as a church. And I do not think that is right in the least, because healthy, vibrant, successful churches can have 10 members or they can have 10,000. It comes down to faith, not numbers. I'm just talking here about the importance of our fully embracing Jesus' call to be fishers of people. So that our words, and more importantly, our very lives, become the mission of proclamation and invitation. For it's in casting our net, however it happens, that people get caught and lives are changed forever. Part of one's seminary education usually involves some amount of clinical pastoral education, which means that you are trained in matters of pastoral care in some sort of clinical setting. Havenwood, for instance, has an excellent CPE program through their pastoral care department. And I know many of you here have had the opportunity to meet and speak with some of these pastoral interns. Well, I went through it as well. And for several weeks back in the day, uh, along with several of my seminary classmates, I actually served as a hospital chaplain, albeit one under close supervision, at what was then called Eastern Maine Medical Center in Bangor. And at times, looking back on it now, it, for us, honestly, it was a requirement we had to do, but looking back on it, I realized it was a very difficult thing for all of us, especially in those moments when our well-meaning efforts for the sake of Christ-centered compassion were met by indifference, rejection, and even outright hostility. I myself can still vividly recall having one young man suggest to me, 
very calmly, but employing several choice four-letter words, what I should do with my Bible-thumping self, and, and that I should leave his hospital room immediately. I did. But then, on the other side of that same coin, there were times when incredible things would happen. One of my classmates, whose name, interestingly enough, was Lisa, had begun to make regular visits to one particular family whose young daughter had been very, very sick, and and in fact, whose condition was deteriorating by the day. Every day, Lisa would stop by the room, and though her visits were cordial and polite, it was clear that this family was not really interested at all in hearing anything spiritual she had to say. Every time she tried to say a few words about faith, they would immediately change the subject. And prayer, well, that was pretty much out of the question. And she wondered aloud to the rest of us, because we all had to kind of regroup and, and, and discuss our experience and learn from it. She would wonder aloud to all of us if maybe she'd been wasting their time and hers. But still... Every single day we were there, she went up to the ward to see this family and usually ending up talking with them about whatever was going on that day, breaking the monotony and pain with conversation about the weather or sports or the news. Well, one day, one of the visits that Lisa made to this family, the little girl was restless, very, very sick, feeling awful. The family had tried to calm her down, but without success. And that's when Lisa, without even thinking about it, she told us later, jumped in to help. She held the little girl's hand and looking in her eyes, talked with her. She smiled. She she told her a knock-knock joke she just heard. And after a moment or two, incredibly, incredibly, the little girl calmed down. She stopped wrestling with everyone around her. And she looked at Lisa. She laughed hard at the knock-knock joke. And she promptly threw up. She threw up all over everything. She threw up all over everyone, including Chaplain Lisa. But you know what? Lisa didn't move. While everyone else was running around in a panic about this, Lisa just kept holding the little girl's hand, saying, it's okay, don't worry about it, it'll clean up, and it did clean up. And after a few minutes, when everything had calmed down and the little girl had gone to sleep, the little girl's father, who up until this point had little more than a begrudging hello to give to this, little, this young chaplain, she looked at this very soiled and now fairly odiferous student chaplain. He shook his head and he asked, what kind of church are you from anyway? (laughs) Now, I'm not sure how Lisa answered that question, but I can tell you this. It was the beginning of a much larger conversation because Lisa came from a church that brings divine and healing love into the worst possible situations. She came from a church that shines great light into the midst of enveloping darkness. 
She came from a church that understands that there's always going to be good news to tell. And that good news comes directly from God in Jesus Christ. And whether she knew it or not, whether she intended it to be this way or not, that morning, Lisa cast her spiritual net, and what do you know? The kingdom was proclaimed, and a family got caught in God's loving embrace. Follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fish for people. That's how Jesus calls us to be disciples. Disciples catching disciples. I mean, who knows how that's going to unfold for us this week? Who knows what kind of opportunities will present themselves so that we can cast our spiritual nets into the waters of our daily lives. Maybe it'll happen at home. Maybe it's going to happen at work. Maybe it'll happen in some random conversation at a coffee shop or at the market basket checkout line. Stranger things have happened, friends. (coughs) Maybe the fish you're catching will be as familiar as a neighbor. Maybe it'll be someone else you've never laid eyes on before. You just don't know. But there are, at this very moment, people out there who are waiting for someone exactly like you to catch them. Who are waiting for you to be the one to share the gospel with them. For you to be that one person of faith that only you can be. Using the gifts that God has given you and you alone to employ. It just takes being fishers of people. And that, beloved, is what Jesus makes us to be as his disciples. So may we be, and as we are, may our thanks always be unto God. Amen and amen. And that's the message entitled, Disciples Catching Disciples, recorded during our January the 22nd, 2023 service of worship at East Congregational United Church of Christ in Concord, New Hampshire, where, by the way, we invite you to join us in person for worship each and every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock at the church on 51 Mountain Road just off exit 16 of I-93 in Concord. I would love to have the opportunity to welcome you to our church, and I know you will be glad you came. And that's it for this episode of the Love to Tell the Story podcast. I thank you for listening today, and until next time, may God bless you with a great day every day. We'll talk to you soon.